0: What's up, everybody? Esoteric Eddie here. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into the audio version of Esoteric Eddie TV. I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace. Cat Williams got high with Joe Rogan and revealed
1: conspiratorial and occult secrets. This is what the Anunnaki said. How did they know that Mars was the red planet? If you follow that information, it leads you to this character called Thoth. He literally says, hey, there's a spaceship on Earth, and this is where it is. (laughs) What up, everybody? Esoteric Eddie here.
0: Namaste. Today, we've got an amazing and introspective video to check out and analyze and sort of react to. So you might have seen that Joe Rogan just dropped an explosive video with Cat Williams. All right, so Cat Williams, in his usual fashion, just holds back nothing. And this is like we've never seen him before because usually he's going on about. Hollywood and celebrities and the secrets behind all of that. But in this video, he goes further than that and reveals a lot of secrets having to do with the occult and the esoteric, which we love on this channel. And of course, he dips a little bit into the usual Illuminati stuff as well. So I've got this video that I put together here of some of my favorite parts of the three-hour-long conversation he had with Joe Rogan. And so we're going to watch most of that and uh, just break it down, analyze it. I'm going to give you my opinions on it, my thoughts on it. And it's kind of funny because uh, after watching this interview... My perception on Joe Rogan and Cat Williams has definitely changed. I mean, obviously, I still love them, you know, from afar as a supporter, as a fan. But um, I've, I've kind of lost faith in their level of knowledge. Because uh, to me, I'm sitting back, and I, it, I'm, I feel like I'm just listening to two stoners talk about the YouTube videos that they've watched. And it's a little hypocritical for me to say, but not really, because um, as you know, I've taken my research a step further and not just watch YouTube videos, but I have put in extensive work into all of these subjects that um, are classic subjects within the esoteric and occult and conspiratorial fields. And yeah, so I don't know. It's funny because a lot of people... We'll get conspiratorial and say shit like, you know, Joe Rogan is controlled opposition or Joe Rogan is, you know, being uh, uh, deceptive or he knows more than he's than he's allowing. But I've never really felt that way. Sometimes actually, well, sometimes I, when i when I used to watch Joe or when I, sometimes when I watch Joe Rogan, sorry, my mind is rapidly firing. Sometimes when I watch Joe Rogan, I'll I will say to myself, like, Man, I, I bet he knows so much more than he's, like, leading us to believe. And Alex Jones would say that a lot, too. Like, no, everything I know, Joe knows, too, or whatever. And obviously, being Joe Rogan and speaking with so many people, he has a um, vast cache of knowledge, you know, general knowledge. But how much does he actually know and actually retain Um, when it comes to the esoteric stuff, I don't know, but after watching this video, uh, I'm again, kind of convinced that he really doesn't know the depths of a lot of it. All throughout his years of podcasting, I've been watching him since way, way, way back before, like, the actual JRE experience, um, even the classic JRE experience episodes, like, way back when he used to have, um, like, other guests or other hosts on with him, and since the beginning, he has been mentioning the Anunnaki So I've I've always known that he knew about the Anunnaki and that he knew specifically about Zechariah Sitchin. He's brought him up multiple times. And I don't know what episode, but in one episode, he mentioned that um, he used to read Sitchin's works back when he was a kid, back when they were coming out in the 70s and 80s. You know, but after hearing him explain it in this video, I'm convinced that he really doesn't know much more than the average person. And same, and I feel the same with Cat Williams. You know, I was super excited though to see them conversating about this nonetheless. I was super excited to hear Cat Williams talk about Toth, the Emerald Tablets, of course, the Illuminati again, and the Anunnaki, when he mentioned the Anunnaki, I was like fanning out, you know, because I grew up on that stuff. And so it was awesome to know that me and him share that connection. But again, after hearing him explain it, I felt like um, I was just thinking to myself, like, okay, like he's watched all the same YouTube videos we've all watched on these subjects. He wasn't able to really go deep. I just wanted to jump in the screen and be like, bro, like, please let me come in here and just like explain some of this to y'all a little more, you know, because the world needs it, man. I'm kind of like annoyed at how much the generic rhetoric of all these subjects just keeps getting rehashed and rehashed. It's definitely a win. It's definitely a W for the for the spiritual truth or community, you know, but, man, we need more depth. We need depth, all right? But anyways, I'm going to play sections of this compilation and, and jump in. It's an amazing one. It's
1: It's a pretty fun one to watch. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. This is what the Anunnaki said, this necklace, right? This is that thing that you see that all the Anunnaki guys that have that look oh. like a wristwatch. watch. It is a timekeeping compass. When we look at all the ruins all around the world, like we're not seeing ruins of colleges and universities. We're seeing temples and synagogues and churches. And people don't understand that that's where that information was coming from. They weren't in there singing and reading from a book. They were in there being taught things that they were able to go put into practice. How did they know that Mars was the red planet? And why was it a worldwide fact? Based upon what
2: information? Nobody worldwide is disagreeing. What you're seeing from like Mesopotamia, all these people 6,000 years later, that is a rebuilding of civilization that was already like just whispers and stories and tales and then they rebuilt it again thousands of years later. You're dealing with what we thought were hunter-gatherers and now we know they weren't. Now we know they built complex stone structures. They think that the people who built the pyramids built them way earlier than the conventional dating is. It's clearly a power plant and built
1: specifically for that location on this planet.
0: Yo, so they say a lot right there. So, just right out the gate, you know, this is what the Anunnaki said. When I, I was actually working when I was listening to this. I was at work plumbing away, and I was like, what? Joe Rogan's back on YouTube? Fuck yeah. And, of course, none other than the interview with Cat Williams, you know, and if you followed the the Cat Williams releases that he's, that he's been doing on these other podcasts, there was like a little bit of beef, sort of a little bit of conflict between him and Joe. It was... It was a perceived conflict between, you know, uh, amongst the people because Cat Williams went on the Shay Shea podcast, which I did a little dive on and sort of poked at the Joe Rogan camp and Joe Rogan responded on the podcast saying that he loves Cat Williams and he would love to have him on. So all of us were waiting. I was waiting for that to happen and for this to be the very first video they drop on YouTube uh, coming back to YouTube was awesome amazing so i played the video i i didn't know what i was gonna get into but almost five ten minutes in he's already dropping the anunnaki and i'm just like whoa hold up like i'm to turn this up man i'm like trying to work and listen at the same time but um yeah they said a lot right there that i want to unpack so first and foremost the fact that cat williams knows about the anunnaki the fact that cat williams knows about the anunnaki is fucking cool um that's that says a lot about where we're getting to as a people, you know, we're, we're all awakening, because knowing about the Anunnaki is not just, you know, knowing about conspiracies or ancient aliens, it's actually knowing about where we come from as a human race, and and knowing about what we've been lied to about, right? And if you know me, you know I've written basically three books on this subject and dropped Plenty of documentaries on this subject. Done plenty of podcast interviews on these subjects, so I don't need to go too deep on all of that. But it's kind of wild how you know. Um, in this clip, Cat Williams admits that his chain is actually an ancient alien device, and of course, he was talking about what he called the timekeeping compass that you would that you can see on the wrist of uh, many of the Anunnaki depictions, right? So if you go and and Google or whatever, you know, um, Anunnaki depictions or, or Sumerian illustrations, Sumerian carvings, hieroglyphs, you'll find these stone carvings of these beings, of these Anunnaki, of these kings, these Sumerian kings who were descendants of the Anunnaki, and we'll find that they're wearing these strange wristwatch-looking things, and many people have tried to decipher what it is. Is it a bracelet? Is it a watch? Is it a a teleportation device? Whatever. But to Cat Williams, it was a time-keeping compass, which kind of makes sense, right? Because um, as being as advanced as the Sumerian people were, you know, they definitely knew math. There's Every week, every month, every year, there's a new discovery coming out about the Sumerian people having to do with just how sophisticated their math skills were. I think just recently we found something claiming that, uh, not claiming, but we, we found something showing that the Sumerian people had already uh, meth- methodized the Pythagorean theorems thousands of years before pythagoras and that might have been where pythagoras got it from so these people were definitely sophisticated and not all the people but definitely the elite and their gods who bestowed the knowledge upon them as they say were sophisticated and intellectual and so it makes sense that people that were this sophisticated, who created the calendar, who created governmental, governmental systems, educational systems, medical systems, um, would also create some sort of timekeeping system. You know, you can't be that efficient and not keep time somehow, right? So, uh, it makes sense that they, they, they devised a way to keep time, and it might not have been the same way we do. It might have even been more efficient. But if you really think about it, a watch really isn't all that sophisticated. All it is, it's just a bunch of, it's clockwork. It's a bunch of gears. So for them to have a wristwatch really isn't far-fetched. It's not a crazy idea for them to have thought of a wristwatch before. It might have just had a different system, a different way of working. But for it to be a watch and a compass is pretty cool. I've never really... Well, obviously, there's a lot of watches today that have, like, the mini compass on it. But for maybe, for them to have, like... Maybe they had one that was, was more integrated. More of a compass, less of a watch. Or the other way around. Or equal out. I don't know. But that's pretty cool for a Cat Williams to kind of catch on to that. Because a lot of these people, a lot of these... Well, a lot of the civilization... A lot of... Damn, dude. I'm, like... My mind is firing right now. Sorry. I'm like talking faster than I'm thinking right now or maybe the other way around. Let me slow down a little bit. I just lit some sage, trying to chill out. I got a lot on my mind and this is a very exciting day for me because of this Cat Williams interview. But um what I was saying before my subconscious bicameral mind interrupted is that a lot of the civilizations that came after the Sumerians were were very prominent seafarers and travelers, and so they had to find ways to keep time, ways to to navigate the um, the geo, geological spaces, you know, with compasses and all of that. So it makes sense. That's all I'm saying is it it makes sense for that to be what the wristwatch was, and um, also Joe just mentioned right now in that last clip that he believes and that a lot of scholars believe that these ancient civilizations weren't the weren't just starting civilization he believes that they were restarting civilization and this is actually the conclusion that I came to as well in my last or in my second to last book the Anunnaki theorem which you can get on Amazon and you can watch for free on my YouTube channel, link in the description. Yeah, so I came to the same conclusion because um not and not because of reading Zechariah Sitchin, I had to put all of that aside and look at the text and the evidence for myself and come to my own conclusion. And it's all there, right? I mean, we've had cataclysms in the near past, we have all these ancient structures and monuments that, that are anomalous and have no place in in time. Um and then we have these texts of these, of these beings, of these people coming out of nowhere, these Anunnaki coming out of nowhere, and then just creating civilizations. But what made me conclude that these people were restarting civilization is that in one of the oldest, if not the oldest known texts of mankind, and one of the oldest Sumerian texts known as um, the Kesh Temple Hymn, No, sorry, in the Enki and World Order text, it is stated that as Enki, one of the top-ranking Anunnaki, was going around and starting civilization and domesticating the land, domesticating animals, and appointing different gods to different positions in society, he also gave resource to what are known as the Martu Nomads. And so that, that stuck out to me. And it's funny because it's mentioned twice. That same instance is mentioned twice in the Enkian world order text. So it was of importance for them to mention that. And it stuck out to me. I said, wait, hold on. So these are supposed to be the gods of creation, right? And the religious people would tell you that these were magical beings who were just creating things out of thin air, right? These are the gods of creation. But everything they're doing is very physical. I mean... They're domesticating the land, they're domesticating animals, they're building structures, they're devising calendars. And then amidst all of that, they also give a resource to these people known as the Martu nomads. So among these gods of creation are already a subset of people living on the outskirts of civilization, known as the Martu nomads, who are, and these people are disenfranchised because they have no resource, so they have to be given resource. So that told me that these Anunnaki people were not starting civilization, but restarting civilization, and that these Martu nomads were disenfranchised people who also survived the recent cataclysms, but were not as savvy as the anunnaki people who were not gods but intellectual sophisticated people who were wise enough to rewrite themselves into the evolving history of humanity as the gods you see here so um yeah very fascinating stuff man and so in this next clip we're going to see cat williams talk about toth toth the atlantean and the emerald tablets and this is kind of where i started laughing because i can tell that He's kind of just reiterating a lot of the basic YouTube-level knowledge that's out there on Toth and the Emerald Tablets. Let's check it out.
1: It leads you to this character called Thoth. And the Emerald Tablets... Of Thoth are literally mind-changing
2: and mind-blowing. Here it is. Emerald Tablet, also known as the Smar... Smargdine? Tablet, or the Tabula Smar... Smargdinda. A cryptic hermetic text. <coughs> it was highly regarded by Islamic and European alchemists as the foundation of their art. Attributed to the legendary Hellenistic figure Hermes Tris. Tris Megus, how do you say, it, bro? So this dude was probably an alien, <laughs>
1: dude. First of all, there are no probabilities. Yeah, that's the benefit once you hear it. Or read it um, is the fact that it's given in first person and that's not possible the things that are being said are impossible he literally says hey there's a spaceship on earth and this is where it is <laughs> that was the reason they, they why had electric and Wi-Fi uh, and
0: this dude was an alien I love that and then um, I couldn't stop laughing when uh, Cat Williams said that it literally says This dude had a spaceship. What do you say? Let's go back to that real quick.
1: He literally says, hey, there's a spaceship on Earth, and this is where it is. (laughs) That's hilarious. When he said
0: that, I knew instantly he has not read the actual Hermetica. Or maybe he has, but more specifically when he said that, I knew that he was basically just reiterating YouTube nonsense. This whole idea of Toth having a spaceship and burying it on Earth comes from the Emerald Tablets of Tothi Atlantean, which are, which are a completely different, uh, which is a completely different text, uh, aside from the Corpus Hermeticum and everything that falls under um, the Hermetic text. And he's probably watched a lot of Billy Carson. And look, I. I I got a lot of respect for Billy Carson and for what he does. Obviously, he played a huge role in my um, awakening as a young person, getting into this knowledge. But I see Billy Carson push this whole idea a lot because we all—all all of us in the space—we all have like our strengths, our, our unique strengths uh, of information, you know, that we bring to the community. For example, I was made popular by my first book. My technical first book, The Lucifer Mystery Revealed, and I was circulated on what now has been over 100 podcasts in the past few years, probably close to 200 episodes all across all media, and I was asked to speak mostly on Lucifer and the Anunnaki, and Billy Carson, he's, he was frequently asked to speak on Toth, Thoth. Tahuti and the Emerald Tablets, and he wrote a book called The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. And you know, regardless of where you stand with him, um, he's definitely centered his his well, I'll say it this way his career, um, his career in my perspective, has been heavily centered around analyzing the emerald tablets of Toth the Atlantean. But you see, I did an entire dive on that subject, and after I did, I realized that it's kinda silly to, to, to analyze those texts and kind of base everything off of those texts because the Emerald Top the Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean, where this whole idea of Toth having a spaceship buried underneath a Sphinx comes from, um, was written by a maniac by the name of Dr. Doriel. Dr. M. Doriel. And I'm not going to go too deep onto him. I have a whole video already getting into that. I actually, I made an entire documentary, an entire documentary diving into Hermeticism, diving into Toth, and diving into how Toth ties in with Hermes Trismegistus. I mapped that entire history out for you in a documentary, which honestly is my favorite that I've ever made. I, I think it's my the best work I've ever done. Honestly, I mean, maybe in my eyes, that documentary is hands down the best research and documentary work I have ever done. And so if you want a full in-depth view and and um, learning on on Toth, on Hermit Trismegistus, on Hermeticism, her and all of that, and how it ties into Christianity and how it ties into the Quran and Islam, go watch my documentary. And also, if you want to learn about the history behind the Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean, the ones that Billy Carson frequently speaks about and centers most of his research around, go watch that documentary. What I learned is that the Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean, which I also love, were written by Doctor M Dorial, a maniac um, who owned thousands of books, had a, a, a pretty impressive private collection of books, but had always been a sort of um, I wouldn't say charlatan but fanatical esotericist who was striving for popularity uh, within the field. I mean he he made a lot of attempts throughout his life and throughout his career as a writer to to become popular. Like he would he was writing some crazy science fiction stuff early on and then he claimed to be a clairvoyant receiving messages and he even claimed that he got the emerald tablets from um, Mexico, that he was given permission from some Tibetan monks from Shambhala to go to Mexico to retrieve them and then bring them back and decipher them and this, this and that. But in the end his ex-wife said he was a maniac, people that knew him said he was a maniac. Nonetheless. He was brilliant enough and motivated enough to write these, write this book, The Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean, which is fucking fascinating and, and might have been channeled to him. I mean, I think it's regardless if it, if it came from him or was channeled to him through Toth, it's still a fascinating piece of literature that has changed my life and has changed many people's lives. Um, so when Cat Williams said that, you know, It literally says there's a spaceship on Earth and this is where it is. That's not true. None of the uh, genuine Hermetica, none of the genuine Hermetica involving Hermes Trismegistus and Toth um, from Egypt say anything about a spaceship. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, Cat Williams got that wrong. That comes specifically from Dr. M. Doriel's The Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean but the corpus hermeticum are, are the corpus hermeticum is a general term for all the various texts that fall under the category of hermeticism and all of hermeticism centers around the teachings and historicity of hermes trismegistus the ditlanian or and and Toth, I should say, and Enoch, because all three of them were combined eventually into the same avatar. And in uh, the Islamic traditions, Enoch is known as Idris. And Idris, the Islamic Enoch, is also um, recognized to be synonymous with Hermes Trismegistus. And all of those, of course, are recognized to be synonymous with Toth or Tehuti, the Egyptian god. Um, so, so yeah, and it's, it's funny, uh, right here, you know, Joe was having a hard time, uh, the, the tabula smaragdina, which is a real tablet of hermeticism, um, akin to the emerald tablets of Toth the Atlantean that do hold a lot of awesome, um, information. And actually it's in the tabula smaragdina where we get the fame, the famous axiom as above so below, as within, so without." So there is a lot of potent information, knowledge, esotericism and occultism that comes out of the Hermetic traditions. Matter of fact, some would say that all religions, all religions, major religions, stem from the Hermetic teachings and that Toth was the very first mystic teacher on this earth and Zechariah Sitchin, uh, believes that Toth was none but an Anunnaki, a young Anunnaki um, from the Enki bloodline. So yeah, it's just awesome. It's just fucking amazing to be sitting here and and watching Joe Rogan and Cat Williams talk about Toth, the Atlantean, Hermeticism, the Tabula Smardina, and all of that. It's just wild, dude. It's just wild. And again, if you want to learn way more on that. Please watch my documentary or buy any of my books, which you can get at my website, which is in the link in description. Uh, Yeah, let's get back to this. There's so much more to unpack here. It gets
1: wild. The greatest trick is to make us believe that people back then were dumber. And we're right. smarter. Right. And that whole thing is a
2: fallacy. Yeah,
1: that's and definitely s- not
2: real. I think we are the, the children of the survivors of some great catastrophe. The things
1: in Hollywood guessing, and, in,
2: and in writing that have attracted our
1: attention worldwide were all based on some truth. I knew that Atlantis really existed just because of how it was
2: spoken of offhandedly you ever heard of Zechariah Sitchin?
0: All right, let's pause right there before we get into Zechariah Sitchin. So, again, Joe reiterates that he believes that we are survivors of a cataclysm, and that's the exact conclusion I came to in my book, The Anunnaki Theorem and the documentary, which you can watch for free here. Okay, anyways, I'm not going to hearken more on that. You know, I've, I've spoken a, a bunch on that. and But I will say... As we dig more and more into the geological evidence, the anthropological evidence, the scriptural evidence, it becomes more clear that that is the case. We are descendants of the survivors of a worldwide cataclysm and that the gods who taught us civilization were the people who survived it. And in that clip, he says that he, he believes that all things are based on some sort of truth within religion, within these stories. And I agree with that and i would even go as far as i would even go as far as to say that all of the major religions specifically the abrahamic faiths and all of the pseudo and apocryphal texts that go along with the abrahamic faiths are all similar because they are based on actual events but not only are they based on actual events they are based on the older Sumerian writings, and I have done extensive work, again, to explain that, and uh, for those of you who are new to this channel, which I don't know if you are, but I'll give you one really great example as to how all of the Abrahamic faiths are based on the Sumerian tales, okay? It's just, all you need is just this one piece of evidence, this one key, and then it unlocks everything else. And that one key, that one story that shows you that all the Abrahamic faiths were, are stemmed from the Sumerian tales is the story of the great flood. Now, in all of the Abrahamic faiths, we're told that God wanted to kill off humanity through the flood. But... In all of the stories, he's hesitant about that. He wants to kill us. He doesn't want to kill us. And eventually, he ends up deciding to save humanity through one family, the family of Noah. Now, that's fine and dandy, but the reason that God is so hesitant in his decision is because this story stems from the Sumerian version, the Atrahasis epic, in which there isn't one God, but two gods making this decision. The god Enlil is the vindictive God who wants to kill us. The god Enki is the benevolent God who wants to save us. And in the end, Enki goes against the wishes of his brother and saves us by warning his descendant known as Atrahasis in some versions and uh, Zia Sudra in other versions. So when you look at that and realize that all the Abrahamic faiths were simply retelling that story with a simplified monotheistic version, then you can start to unravel and see how all of it, all of it, was based on the Sumerian text. But not just based on it, they were a continuation of the Sumerian reality, of the human plight, of the human reality. Because as we evolved as, as a human family, our relationship to these gods changed. The fact is, these gods were our gods. They gave us civilization, they created us, they gave us knowledge. But our relationship to them changed over time. And again, I um, chronolog. And again, I, I show you that and demonstrate that throughout my books and documentaries. But as we evolved, our relationship changed and we started to simplify the history into a monotheistic history, not, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the church and the institution so that it could be easy for them to mediate the truth through them so that now we have to go to them um, to go to heaven, to be saved, to this, this, and that. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. But I say all that to say that Cat Williams is correct in saying that all these mytholo- all of these mythological stories have some truth in them. And the reason being, again, is because they are all based on a simpler, more accurate version of the story. On Atlantis, right? And so, Atlantis is just one of those basic elementary level conspiracy theories, if you will you know, or legends within esotericism. And I have done some dives on that. I've mentioned it throughout my books and documentaries. And um, although there was that dude who recently found Atlantis somewhere in the sub-Saharan desert or whatever with the concentric circles, I mean, that's cool. There's been so many people who have claimed to have found Atlantis, but I don't believe that um, there really ever was a A center of Atlantis. You know, I mean, maybe there was like, yeah, a kingdom as it is described in the original depiction. But if you actually analyze the origin of that story, as I have, the purpose of the story wasn't to say that there used to be this like super magnificent time and place where humans were telepathic and we could levitate and our chakras were opened and all of this. No, so. The purpose of the story was actually to um, inspire the Greeks and inspire the Greeks by telling them a piece of their history they forgot. And not just inspiring the Greeks, but also to wake them up and make them realize that that there are histories of this earth that are so far removed from the present time that they are completely lost completely lost to humanity. And I say that because the story of Atlantis comes to us from a famous Greek tale known as Timaeus and Critias. In this tale, it is said that one of the elders, um, I believe the uncle of, of Socrates, a man by the name of Solon, visited Egypt, and while he was there, he was told the tale of Atlantis by an Egyptian priest. And you can go read that whole experience, and encounter in Timaeus and Critias. And we find that this Egyptian priest told Solon a story about how there was an island kingdom off the coast of the Mediterranean somewhere, which we called Atlantis, and which they called Atlantis. And the people of that island kingdom, he says, um, were benevolent. And very intellectual, but they reached such a level of intelligence that it churned on them and that they became arrogant and so arrogant that they decided to attempt to take over the known world at that time. So they dispersed from the island kingdoms and started attacking um, all the people on the Mediterranean coast, including the ancestors of the Greeks. And the Egyptian priest tells Solon you know, you Greeks are like babies. He says you are babies in the eyes of history because you don't even know your own history. And he says to Solon that during this Atlantean war, when the Atlanteans were waging war against the world, it was the Greeks' ancestors who drove them back and fought them. And when they when they drove them back to the kingdom of, of Atlantis, That's when the gnarly cataclysm happened and it um, consumed the kingdom of Atlantis and also... Um, the Atlanteans, along with the Greek warriors, the, the ancient Greek warriors who fought against the Atlanteans. And that's why that history was lost, because they all died. And so the purpose of the Atlantean tale, as told to by Solon, by the Egyptian priest, was to inspire the Greeks and tell them that their history is deeper than they are being led to believe, and that there are histories on this earth that have been forgotten. And and also, the Egyptian priest says to Solon that you are like babies. You people are babies compared to my people, he says. So, the, the story is being told to Solon also as a testament to the depth and historicity of the Egyptian people. This priest was telling him, man, you don't even know your own history. Don't come over here trying to, you know, pretend like you guys are this great, towering civilization. Our people go way, way back, and we got all kinds of stories and histories that you don't even know about. So, anyways, man, so um, was Atlantis real? You know, I don't know, you know, but again, I don't think that it was just about this kingdom. It was more so about an era in total Um Prior to the cataclysms, you know, where there were many kingdoms, many people, many civilizations that are now lost, many races or whatever of people that have now been lost, stories that have now been lost. But anyways, we're about to get into Zechariah Sitchin and
2: what uh, Joe Rogan has to say about that? Zechariah Sitchin was a biblical scholar. He deciphered the Sumerian texts, and he's like an expert in language. He deciphered these texts Mm -hmm. and wrote these books about the real meaning behind everything they were saying. And he said that the reason why we are so fascinated with gold is that the Anunnaki literally would have us mine gold for them, because they needed it to protect their atmosphere.
0: Whoa, whoa, hold up. All right, so let's unpack this. So, of course... Joe Rogan is reiterating the usual Zechariah Sitchin perception and story on the Anunnaki, which is cool. I mean, I'm always happy to hear anybody mention Zechariah Sitchin because I grew up on him. Still love his books. Still have all... Well, most of his books are right here. You can't see them. But, um, for example, I have right here, When Time Began, which I think was the very first one I ever read. Um, So... Yeah, so according to to, well, Joe says here, according to Zechariah Sitchin, the Anunnaki came here to mine for gold. And that's questionable. Actually, I've been meaning to do a video on that. I still have most of my research for that video done. But um, this whole idea of the Anunnaki coming here for gold, to suspend gold particles in their atmosphere, to save their planet from dying that is nowhere to be found in the Sumerian text. Nowhere in the Sumerian text is that alluded to. The reason Zechariah Sitchin came to that conclusion is because after analyzing all of the major countries, major mythological tales around the world, he concluded that gold was of significance to all of them. And when asked about the significance of gold by a lot of the colonizers, the indigenous people of all of these various lands, claimed that the importance of gold did not come from them but from the gods. Matter of fact, in some parts of Southern America, the term for gold was the Tears of the Gods. And so after analyzing the history of gold, all these various mining sites around the world and the tales of the indigenous people, Zechariah Sitchin concluded that, hmm, uh, well, apparently these God people came here for gold. And maybe not just gold, but other precious minerals. And the whole thing about them suspending it in their atmosphere that, again, that's nowhere to be found in any of the Sumerian texts, but he came to that conclusion because um, he believed they came here from a distant planet. And again, that's nowhere in the Sumerian text. He comes to that conclusion after, again, analyzing all of these various mythologies, and after doing so, he realized that they place an importance on certain constellations They place an importance on um, calendars, certain celestial calendars. And so he had to kind of speculate. And so what he speculated was that all of these ancient people were putting an importance on mapping the stars and mapping certain constellations and creating astrological, astronomical calendars because they were trying to observe a specific planet. They were trying to observe some specific phenomena in the sky, and to him that specific phenomena was the return of their home planet. And so all of that was speculation. The the whole theory of Nibiru slash Planet X, the Anunnaki coming here for gold, those two theories were uniquely created by Zechariah Sitchin after his many, many years of research in analyzing the various mythological tales around the world and what they had to say about gold, the gods, and space. All right, so let's get back into this.
1: But it's things like that that leads you to the Knights Templar story. If they tell you that certain parts of your DNA are fused, that requires a fuser. Whatever they say that Hell or Hades is in any of these religions worldwide, It is the perfect description for what a black hole is in real life. A bottomless pit where time does not exist, where you don't die, but you don't exit. Let's pause
0: right there. So I like how he just randomly adds the Knights Templars in there. Like, yeah, man, and this will eventually lead you to the Knights Templars. It's like, and he just stops right there. It doesn't get any deeper on it. Uh, But that's funny because the Knights Templars were probably the very first thing I ever got into. And I've told this tale many times. When I was in third grade, I used to get this book from the library that I loved, which spoke on dinosaurs and dragons and knights. And I remember, still to this day, there was a page in the middle of the book that spoke on the holy grail and how certain knights were after it. And I still remember the picture. It was like this cave with a bunch of treasure everywhere in the middle was this golden cup and i thought that the holy grail was exactly that just a golden cup and so i wanted to go out go out and try to find that cup and you know become rich or whatever but that tale is about the knights templars and i learned that later on so early on in my life and and in my journey uh within esotericism the story of the Knights Templars was subconsciously ingrained in me. And that, that story has a lot to do with Christianity and Christ and everything. So it's, it's very deep. It's quantum. And so later on, again, I learned that it had to do with, uh, the Knights Templars, the bloodline of Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant, so on and so forth. So it's just funny how he just says that like, Oh yeah, man, and it's going to lead you to the Knights Templars. which is going to lead you to this and to that. I mean, this interview was wild. It's, it's all over the place, but, um, that's all he had to say about that. But then he gets into this whole idea of hell that I kind of want to touch on because um, he says a black hole is a perfect description of what hell is. And I kind of agree with that. So, of course, I made a video recently talking about how hell isn't real. And I'm not going to go deep into that. Go check it out. Um, but real quickly, I believe, and many scholars also think that hell was not real hell, hell was hell was never spoken of in the way that we perceive it now in the new testament definitely not the old testament whenever jesus spoke of hell he used the word gehenna or more specifically um, Gai guy ben hinnom in the hebrew and guy ben hinnom may, means the valley of the son of hinnom And this valley was a specific valley in Jerusalem, where in ancient times, um, the polytheistic people would sacrifice their children to the god Moloch, the bull-headed god Moloch. And I already did a video on Moloch, you can go check out. There's a complexity of archetypes at play here, having to do with fire, a bull-headed horned beast, evil, sacrifice, this, this, and that. And so... Jesus was using that place as a metaphor to say that the afterlife for sinners will be like Guy Ben-Henom, and that their souls will be destroyed forever, not punished forever, destroyed forever, exterminated. And so um, if we think of God, the actual creator, what us in the spiritual community would call source as being this unfathomable light, a light that is not even light. It's, we just call it light because that's the closest thing we can, uh, what's the word? That's the closest thing we can compare it to. But the source, creator, is this unfathomable light, like a fire, in which the sinners will have to pass through, like the children who were sacrificed to Moloch. And um, as they pass through that that light, that fire, they will be exterminated forever. Your soul will no longer exist. It will be written out of the book of life. That, to me, is even more scarier than being punished in hell forever. And um, it's interesting how Cavilliam says that a black hole kind of fits that description. Because it kind of does. You know, entering a black hole, you are now exterminated. You, know, you cease to exist truly for infinity. Um, Because infinity means timeless. There's no time. And this is a crazy thing, as I pointed out in my held documentary or or short presentation. Um, The opposite of time and space is not death. It's infinity. And so if we were to be if we were to be punished or put in some weird dimension of hell or a black hole or or some nothingness, a purgatory, it could seem like forever for us because we can only perceive time and space. But God being able to perceive infinity, it could be literally a nanosecond for him or it because there is no time in infinity. So it's just an illusion. It's a, ha- it's a hallucination. It is a bad trip. You might think that you're in there literally for infinity, like a DMT trip, but then God snaps its fingers and is like, um, did you get your lesson? And for him, it was only five seconds. And we're like, what the fuck? I was there for infinity. He's like, no, not really. It was only five seconds, but it's a pretty cool trick, right? So yeah, anyways, I just wanted to Add that, you know, that whole idea is just a trip, man. Like time and space, infinity.
1: Anyways, let's get back to this. The science and math go together with um, the occult and alchemy and um, all of these things are based on things.
0: Bam, I say that all the time. Psychology, quantum physics, and the occult are all sisters of the same mother. They're all the same. They're sisters um, approaching life with the same goal, of which is like basically alchemizing life, whether that's mental or physical, but just through
1: different methods. Right? So that was pretty cool of him to say. So 20 years ago I knew that transgenders was gonna be a thing. It wasn't because I was a prophet, it's just I had gotten so much information that I understood that the path. things are secular. So I understood that the earliest I had seen that word transgender was um Baphomet, the transgender. I knew that in the ritual of Baphomet, the transgender, to show allegiance to him, you had to kiss his ass ring. Really? And it said both of those things. So I knew that both of those things would become popular in the future. And that um, somehow calling people the goat would be normalized over. The sheep being always the most popular reference.
0: Whoa. All right. So he said a lot there that we need to unpack. So he knew that transgenderism was going to be a thing 20 years ago because he had studied Baphomet. That's pretty wild. So Cat Williams is saying that he knew that transgenderism was going to be a thing because he studied the Baphomet 20 years ago. Now, Baphomet, of course, is this coveted and abhorred image within the occult, which I've done many dives on. I did an entire documentary on the creator of that image. Actually, it was the very first documentary I ever did on this channel, which you can go check out. And to me, the Baphomet was never intended to be a demonic figure. It's simply a daunting image which incorporates a lot of hermetic axioms within it. A lot of uh, ideas of it incorporates a lot of ideas of duality within it that are known and practiced within the occult and esotericism. And so and so it's kind of funny because a lot of people in the conspiratorial community will kind of like couple Baphomet with the transgender community and a gender or whatever. And so this is another one of those instances where I'm watching and I'm like, okay, like Kat has just watched a lot of the same YouTube documentaries we've watched. Because when you actually study the history of the Baphomet image, who made it, why he made it, all of that, it's got nothing to do with transgenderism. Um... Although they, they can be coupled in a very, very weird way, which I understand, but when you go down that rabbit hole it 's really weird because when you go down that rabbit hole of this transgender community having to do with Baphomet, actually, when you go far, far down enough it, you realize that the transgender movement is actually the universe 's way, nature's way of actually doing. Away with the traditional system of male and female, and how it's starting to realize it would be benefit to have androgynous beings for some weird end goal, right? So, just how it's funny because us regular people, us traditional people, are known as binary people, and it's funny how in the Matrix, the old school way uh, within the Matrix is known as binary code, but the new evolving way of the universe's thinking is quantum. And quantum means everything at once at the same time. And the transgender movement is what? Gender fluidity. You can be whatever you want at any time, whenever. So is this really a satanic idea or agenda? Or is this actually the beings of light That exists at the highest of order, slowly moving us towards an actual beneficial end goal for them and for us. Do they want to strip us of our monotheistic binary code and upgrade us to a fluid quantum state where where we are these weird androgynous beings who just computate everything in a strange, gray, alien way? You see? So that's how far down that rabbit hole can get you. You know, but if you're starting with the premise of Baphomet, it's based on a fallacy, and it's pretty much just stoner talk because again, Baphomet had nothing to do with the transgender movement. The reason it incorporates the male and female aspects is because that has to do with duality, duality in magic, duality in life, duality in the human existence, duality in God. Because that's one of the major secrets in occultism, in esotericism, in mysticism. The secret is That God is not just a male. God needed a female counterpart to make all of this possible. And that's evident in our own bodies. We all have a male and female part of us. That's the actual if transgender part of Baphomet. Not the fact that Baphomet is some demon that wants to come and read books to our kids while in drag or whatever. That's just like weird other shit that has to do with the occult and, and politics and liberalism so on and so forth you know so but we're simple people we like to simplify everything so that we can cope with life better you know i feel like shit it's all baphomet and the drag queens you know it's like i get it it's easy it's fun it's enticing but it it gets deep you know when you really start to analyze it but i understand cat because they're clearly has been an agenda that's been going on for about 20 years, probably 50 years for, so for him to have made that connection through Baphomet and still see it is, it's still cool. It's still wise of him for, to have been able to make that connection nonetheless and see it coming because it definitely was planned and it definitely is being planned for whatever reasons. um, you know, which I think is to eventually inoculate all of us and make our fertility rates go down so that we don't repopulate. Which is the very same reason the Anunnaki wanted to kill us through the Great Flood is because we were populating too fast, uh, too much too fast. You know, they don't, they don't want all of us to, to rise up. They don't want us to have families because the more that we rise up and the more that we wake up, the, the more they become a minority they being the elite, you know, so, um, yeah, it's just fun, man, it's fun to, like, see all those, watching this entire podcast, I felt like I was right there with them, you know, just smoking some weed, like, hell yeah, cat, talk that shit, man, Baphomet, Anunnaki, this, this, and that, let's go, all right,
2: man, Um, let's get back to this. Well, the wildest stuff is when you look at some of those old Sumerian tablets and you see how they had the solar system mapped out. They had the sun in the center, looked just like a sun with little marks around it. It had Venus where it should be, Jupiter where it should be, Uranus where it should be. They were all in the right spots. It's look at that. that. That is just nuts, man. Also, that they figured out the measurements of the height and width and the mass of the pyramid in comparison to the the circumference of earth they they knew so much about like where constellations would be at certain times of the year like in the summer solstice it's just wild shit man that they did that all in stone a thought went into picking this particular sun the sumerians
0: again so i love this so joe brought up the famous sumerian tablet that apparently shows the sun and all of the planets And Zechariah Sitchin loved using this all throughout his books to um, claim or to show that the Anunnaki were ancient astronauts who who were traveling through the solar system. And it is a very surprising and shocking uh, cylinder seal or depiction, nonetheless. And it's been argued by scholars and Assyriologists many, many times, and it's actually known as the VA-243 seal, so that's its official academic name if you want to look it up. And again, Zechariah Sitchin used this as um, evidence, as proof that the Anunnaki were ancient astronauts who came from a, a distant planet. And it is fascinating when you look at it. I mean, it's allegedly showing the sun with all of the planets and the moon around it. But the funny thing is that academicians, you know, the uh, mainstream academicians argue that point and say, no, 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 it's not the sun. Because if you look at all of the other depictions of the sun within um, ancient Mesopotamia, they are consistently, they they don't look like that. And they are consistently uh, depicted in a different way other than the way it's depicted in this seal. And they conclude that it is not a depiction of our solar system, but actually a depiction of a star system, specifically the Pleiades. And I'm like, okay, as if that's not equally fucking fascinating, like that these people who just walking around in ancient Mesopotamia are just fucking mapping out the Pleiades, for what reason, why? Because that's probably where the fucking
1: Anunnaki came from. Anyways. Well, let's get back to it. And the moon and the positioning of much as if you were building a house. That's why if you were extraterrestrial, let's say, and you were going to build one building on this planet, it would be the pyramid. But understand, these are the things worthy of a war. That's the only thing a rational person can take from Hitler's story. Is oh shit, here we go again. Rationalizing Hitler's story.
0: Yeah, before I get into Hitler, I forgot to mention Joe also uh quickly mentioned how the pyramid's dimensions have importance. And I wrote about that in my Anunnaki Theorem book. So the crazy thing about the pyramid is it's a scale model of the earth. So um again, I'm not gonna get into the math either, but when you take the circumference of it and the height of it, Um, it basically, it's, it's an exact scale, uh, model of the earth, I think by like one to four, a scale of one to four. So the circumference and mass and height of the pyramid is, is, is a, is the same of the earth, but scaled down. So it's like the people were using it as like a math, like a, a mathematical metric ruler to to be able to to map out other shit around the earth you know i 'm no mathematician i'm no fucking scientist, but i've researched enough as um, an author to to know that you know um, to make construction easier you scale shit down and I learned that being being a tradesman right so when we Map out blueprints to build a house. We scale everything down, right? Like, so when you're looking at a blueprint, uh, the blueprint will read, for example, you know, every inch is actually 10 feet. So that's that's what the pyramid of Giza is. It's, it's a scaled down model of the Earth. And so, what uh, use could that be? A bunch of uses. If you're a fucking mathematician, if you're uh, an ancient an astronaut, squaring the circle basically means creating a circle and a square. With the same area, which for whatever reason is impossible. So the Great Pyramid does exactly that with the dimensions of its height and the area of its base. If you take its height to be the radius of a circle, that circle will have the same exact area of the perimeter of the base of the pyramid, which is a square. Thus, boom, squaring the circle, baby, bringing heaven to earth. All right, let's get back at it.
1: That's the only thing a rational person can take from hitler's story is being able to see what if you had unlimited resource and ability to just follow global rabbit holes you find out that most stuff that is labeled BS is not BS. Money and time and all royalty, all kings, all great leaders of the world, this is what you paid for, was people that could make things happen. So um, being able to understand the weather, and to then be able to manipulate it in any way possible was valuable all through human history. All the way before we get to the seeding of clouds. Okay,
0: so Hitler and
1: weather modification. So, um, heavy topics.
0: Yeah, of course, everybody loves to talk about Hitler, but nobody wants to love Hitler. Of course, right? We can love the history of him without loving the man, right? I can sing, I believe I can fly without loving R. Kelly. You see what I'm saying? Anyways, um, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't love the work of Hitler, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm fascinated with the historicity of the Nazi era. It was such a strange and pivotal moment in human history. But um it's it's just hilarious because at some point in the rabbit hole, every conspiracy theorist, every truther reaches that, that part of the rabbit hole where there's a big fucking arrow and sign that says, fascination with the Nazis. And you're just like, ah, damn, really? Gotta go down that way? Hey, guys, map says we gotta go this way. What? I was looking for the wiener schnitzel cart. Sorry, buddy, we gotta go through the fucking Nazi fascination rabbit hole first, and then maybe we can get to the Wiener Schnitzel part. Anyway, um, yeah, man, it's a fascinating thing, because that whole era was wild, that's when we got the fucking UFOs, the anti-gravitational technology, and as Cat Williams says, you know, um, it's like, he understands what the Nazis were after. Maybe not with the Holocaust thing, but he understands that they were, tr- they were trying to take over the world so that they could really get to the fucking bottom of all of this. Is Atlantis real? Are aliens real? You know, are our ancient Aryan ancestors actual fucking ancient astronauts and all of this shit? That- Dude, oh yeah, Hitler, the Nazis, they knew about all of this. They're the ones who fucking set this all off. You know, they knew about all of this. They were trying to keep it under wraps. They didn't want the rest of the world to know that there were ancient UFOs hitting in the tundra of uh, Antarctica, you know, and all this stuff. That's why they were traveling to Tibet, traveling to Antarctica, traveling all around the world to try and find this shit, to find the remnants of what they knew of as the Aryan ancestors, who we now know of as the Anunnaki, one and the same. They were after the same thing. It's fucking wild to think about that. That's why I am so fascinated with the Nazi era because these motherfuckers literally tried to take over the world and not just take over the world, but actually set out to go find and fucking uncover the Anunnaki remains. Insane. Oh yeah. Weather modifications. Well, they briefly talk about that and I don't really want to get too much into that. I mean, obviously we know it's very real. Harper's been doing it. Um, Shit. Shamans have been doing it, you know? You can you can modify the weather through rudimentary practices, um, and I realized that after reading Joseph Farrell's book, uh, Breakaway Civilization. All weather originates in the ionosphere, so all you have to do is is reverse engineer the process of that weather pattern, like a tornado. Or a hurricane, or whatever, it all starts in the ionosphere first. And just like anything, it has a process. All you have to do is reverse engineer the process and then instigate it or artificially create it within the ionosphere through harp technology or whatever. And then, bam, you got a motherfucking hurricane.
2: Hey, schools closed, kids. You can think you're Nazis at harp. If the creation is real, and if God is real, and that there's that there really is a, a reason for all of it. What is the reason for us? It
1: would be like saying, "What was the thinking on somebody making an amusement park? To amuse? Um, people, so that they could have a full experience. If you learn about it, you'll learn about the whole workings of the universe. That we are in control of certain things, and that we can um, not get things right and then get it right, and not know things and then know things, and then you know, it's it's a wonderful experience that was created. So I know and have known in my life that I'm going to live forever. I know I'll die, but I know I'm going to live forever until then and then live beyond that. This is why those um, one world people exist, because it's a very powerful concept to have and far too lucrative and beneficial to not be attempted
0: Damn! Okay, so um, I loved this clip because it reminded me of my last book, The Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion. <laughs> and I know I bring all this stuff up so much, It's like it seems like I'm just doing a fucking ad campaign for my books all the time, but no, it's because, man, honestly, I fucking put in a lot of work for all of that, and I feel like it's still very valuable and could just help explain a lot of this stuff, man, you know? Yeah, no, it was cool how how Cat answered the question, you know, what What was the purpose of God creating all of this? Because that's actually a question that I've been asking myself recently. You know, what really is the meaning of all this? I mean, we know we know what's going on. We know the world's corrupt. We know it's a simulation. We know it's all this, this and that. But what's the, what's the meaning? Why? Why do it all? Why make it at all? You know, and I don't want to dive too deep into my answer because I'm working on a, a, a an artistic piece to answer that and provide it for you. But... um His answer was that, you know, just for the experience, you know, it's an experience. It's a simulation. We're here to experience this for, for some reason, for some educative reason to that supposedly, supposedly will benefit us afterwards. So it's, it's just like a training, right? Like if you go to a, if you get a job or whatever and they put you through training, it's a simulation, it's an, ex- it's an experience. It's like putting on a VR headset, right? It's like we're here to have the experience, okay? You know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. We're spiritual beings having a spirit uh, having a human tortilla or whatever, you know? Um, so I agree with that. You know, we're put here, and as you said, you know, we're here to... to to learn things, to expand our consciousness, our awareness. It's in our creator's intention for us to be here and expand our awareness. And I've talked about this many times throughout my podcast episodes, and it's in my Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion book. So if you've heard me speak on this, you already know what I'm going to say. I think it's in our Creator's intention for us to eventually get to the point where we can fully understand and fathom who we are, what this is, and who it is. But we can't get to that point without evolving first. So this experience is for us to learn our Creator, to build a connection, a relationship, not just with the Creator, but with the mind and body we have, so that we can be better equipped for whatever's next. And as he says, he knows he's gonna live forever, right? I think he meant it in two ways. The funny way is that um I mean when you die, you're gonna be dead forever. So I mean, yeah, and if you count being dead as living in a different way, then yeah, we're gonna live forever. But I think what he meant was that he meant that in a, in a way of consciousness. You know, regardless, our consciousness will, will carry on. And that is the premise of the crystal lattice mind illusion, is that everything is consciousness. What we actually are is consciousness. And, um, yeah, man, the more we tap into that, the more we build the connection with our Creator. And it's, it's true uh, intention for us, which is to expand, elevate, and ascend so that we can fully understand who it is and then fully be integrated integrated with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jewish people are powerful people on this planet, and a lot of that has to do with the process that they have in in instilling in their young people a certain amount of information and wherewithal and conversation that does not happen with other cultures, let's say. Mm, and, oh, somebody's talking about the Jews. Oh,
0: man. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one, but it's just hilarious, man. This this whole podcast is literally a wild ride. It's just like a, a basic walkthrough of, like, every conspiracy theory. Like, how do we end up here from the Anunnaki to fucking the Hitler, the Jews? It's like, oh, man, it's just, it's like
1: a fucking 101 on conspiracy theories. I love it. You either believe in the natural and the supernatural, or you don't. I don't know how you could be a Christian and not believe in extraterrestrials. It's in your book. Um, Some of the books of the Bible that were banned were banned because they had black guys in them. You've heard the book. You've heard about the book of Enoch. Yes. So, if you know that book, it says that noah was an albino there are those of us that know what the pineal gland what medicine says it's for yes
0: the book of enoch again i've done a deep dive on it um go check out my Hermes documentary if you want to learn more but yeah he said he, it's funny the way he put it that there are certain books in the uh certain books that were banned from the bible because they mentioned black men I don't think that was the motive. I mean, I think the Book of Enoch was banned because it mentions fallen angels having sex with women and it falls down this rabbit hole, you know, of the Anunnaki. You know, the Book of Enoch was banned because it delegitimized the church and the indoctrination that they were forming um, during the Constantinian era. The Book of Enoch... Brought everything back to the Sumerian tales because of the story of the fallen angels mating with women. And also, the book of Enoch was a very powerful book that was seen as canon within the early Christian era, and Jesus actually quotes directly from the book of Enoch, and Jude quotes directly from the book of Enoch as well. And so, the church doesn't like the book of Enoch because it delegitimizes their power um, on earth, their institutional power, and also deconstructs a lot of the indoctrination that they created and put together as canon. Right. And so uh, the book of Enoch is crazy. And it, yeah, it does mention Noah as being this weird albino baby, which isn't talked about in uh, the church at all. So that has, I think that has to do kind of with like, yeah, Nephilim blood, you know, Nephilim blood and the onset of the white race and all of that. Super wild stuff, you know. But
1: it's again, it's crazy to, to see Cat Williams talking about this. It's, it's very awesome. There are those of us that know what the pineal gland, what medicine says it's for. And, um,. what that would mean. And so, those people's job is to make sure that there's fluoride in all the water. <laughs> so, your pineal gland will shrivel, get calcified, right, or whatever happens all, to it. That's all. And that's what brings it full circle to that emerald tablet I was telling you about, right? 70% of it is something you've heard somewhere else. Like, there are things in it that are verbatim to the Bible, verbatim to the Quran, like, verbatim to...
0: Okay, wow, just a perfect way to end it, dude, with the pineal gland, and then, of course, wrapping it back to Toth. Yeah, just a wild ride of of general conspiracy theories, but that's super cool that he's talking about the pineal gland, and he's, like, walking around, like, it feels like he's, like, hesitant to talk about any of this, like he's going to get canceled or fucking assassinated or whatever, you know. But, yeah, we all know about the pineal gland, and its medical, per- well, its medical purpose is to to produce melatonin, which is to help you sleep, which is a trip. that's kind of funny, right, because people are like, open up your third eye, wake up, but the third eye is, is actually what helps you go to sleep. Um... You know, So, like, exit the matrix, really, is one way to look at it. Right? It's all flipped and dualistic. But another purpose of it is to produce DMT, which, yeah, helps you wake up and exit this life and this matrix and dream and, and see things on a deeper perspective. And there are crystals in your pineal gland, which... Um, have functions we have yet to fully understand. So, some people believe it's a receptor. It's the literal receiver of consciousness. It is the crystal receiver that consciousness um, tunes into and then interfaces with the rest of the body. The seat of the soul, as it has been called. And uh, so, that was cool how he wrapped up with that. And of course, the bastards that be want to calcify it and shrivel it up like a little freaking raisin, you know, with all that fluoride, stop, dude, do not brush your teeth with fluoride toothpaste. I grew up with terrible teeth problems and that's a whole nother story. And um I spent the last half of my twenties repairing the damage that I did in my in my teenage years and early 20s. Um but yeah I stopped using fluoride toothpaste a long time ago. And, um, but it's funny towards the end of this, how he says that the emerald tablets have stuff in there that's verbatim in the Bible and the Quran. And this is how I also know that he's watching these YouTube videos again up late night, um, because no, the emerald tablets says nothing that's verbatim in the Bible or the Quran, but yes, some of the hermetic texts, uh, which, um, predate Christianity do have similar themes, and there are some quotations from the Hermetica that can be regarded as, you know, uh, regurgitated within Christianity. So yeah, there there are some precedent of Christianity within the Hermetica. That is true, and it makes sense because the early Christians were were uh, mystics who mystics who were coming out of the Hellenistic era, which was blending. Philosophies of Judaism blending philosophies of of uh, the Greeks and other cultures to create this um, to create Gnosticism. Right, the early Christians were, were were more Gnostic than than anything. They were mystics, and so they 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 knew about the Book of Enoch. They knew about the Hermetica. They knew about the Kabbalah and all these other different things. Right, they were they were mystics. So it makes sense that. That there was precedent of Christianity within the mystical texts of ancient times, Um, because it's 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 quantum. It's not just singular. It's not like there was. Uh, The Sumerians and then there was the Hermetica and then there was Christianity. No, it's like all of this was blending and it was all evolving as adaptations and continuations of each other. And again, we're all just one human family anyway, trying to figure out what the fuck we're doing here. And so that's all this really is. That's all it's ever really been is us just trying to like cope with this, make sense of it, create systems around it. And a lot of the systems we've created are beautiful and um, awesome. And they've standed the test of time, you know, because they they resonate deeply with us. And so shout out to the mystics for doing that for us. And shout out to the religious and shout out to the atheists as well, because it's all perspectives. It's all duality. It's all, they're all different human systems that help us humans cope with and understand this life. But anyways, I had a great time watching this. I hope you had fun. Thank you for rocking with me. Go check out all the documentaries I mentioned if you want some full, in-depth information on all of these subjects. I love y'all. Peace. Namaste.